What's happening? Floyd. Mr. Gilliard. How are you, sir? Great, brother, man. Good to see you. Thank, for you. thank you for your patience. No, not at all. Good to be seen. I, I'm so glad you're here. I'm very excited. I was uh, <laughs> anticipating sitting down talking with you because there's, there's just so much to talk about. You've been doing this for so long. So yes. I was really excited for my audience because I'm, you know, I'm saying to myself now, if you guys want to learn how to do this and have longevity, then this is an episode that you really need to tune into. So we're going to we're going to get this thing started because this is one of those the show must go on episodes because I'm going to be truthful. I have been all week, so I had to run to the store and grab some orange juice, some green tea, some honey, some pills. I said, there is absolutely my wife's like, you're going to do this interview. I'm like, you damn right. I'm going to do this interview. I'm like, I got Carl Gilliard coming on. I'm doing this interview. Yeah, we're going to make this rock and roll. So I just took a I took a power nap. So I, I got about an hour, hour and a half for me now. And after that, I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, All right. But it, it's so it's so good to have you here. So, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a conversation with with Floyd Marshall. And I am joined by veteran stage actor, television actor film actor, producer, we, we could be here for at least a week running down some of, some of his accomplishments, accomplishments, but I'm just going to give you a small taste of who, who it is that I'm, I'm speaking with right now. Carly, Carl Gilliard is an actor, producer, director, writer, educator, and entertainment consultant. He is also the president and CEO of the Gilliard Media Group based in Los Angeles and GMG provides media consultation, casting, media content creation, publishing, coaching, and entertainment production services. He is also joined by his lovely wife, Latanya, Latanya Gilliard, serving as Bryce President of Operations. He is also the founder of the Bill Duke Media Foundation's Youth Media Camp. And, and we really got to talk about that because I absolutely uh, love Bill Duke. I actually uh, did his boot camp back in the day. It's a nonprofit organization with a distinct emphasis on offering new media arts and financial literacy to inner city youth ages 15 through 18 in South Los Angeles. Carl is a graduate of Michigan State University and a native of Detroit by way of Chicago, Illinois. And upon moving to California, he dove into acting and landed many television and film roles, which facilitated his masterful skills in networking and forming relationships that has catapulted him into becoming extremely well spec respected in the industry. I am not going to sit here and read this man's credits because we would be here all night. And this is an interview, not a credit view. So without further ado, Mr. Carl Gilliard, welcome to a conversation with, thank you so much for being on the show. So how are you? Thank you for it. I'm just wondering who you were talking about. I mean, yes. <laughs> Who's that? Who's that guy? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for having me. I, I'm so, I am so I am so glad you decided to to come on the show. Welcome to a conversation with where we sit down with some amazing people in the film, media, and entrepreneurial space. We're going to talk about what makes them successful, and hopefully we'll give you something to help you maximize your business, but more importantly, to maximize your life. So sit back and enjoy a conversation with, and I'm your host, 
Floyd Marshall Jr. I always ask, how did it all begin? So how did it all begin? Well, you know, I when I talk to other artists like myself, it's a very similar journey. I, I, it, when I was a little boy, I mean, I'm I, for as long as I can remember, you know, I wanted to work in media. I remember as a small kid, I told my mom that I wanted to be a comedian, and I thought that was pretty ridiculous because a lot of the TV I watched were comics. You know, at, at my age, Red Skelton and Jerry Lewis and Bill Cosby and Dick Gregory and you know, all these wonderful storytellers, and I connected with that right away at a very young age. I didn't see the path, but I knew that I wanted to be a part of it, and you know. It started much later in terms of the actual activity to move into the direction of being in it. But the first thing that happened was a little boy that was just ang you know, just wanting to be a part of this business, even to the point I used to I live in, lived in Chicago. That's where I grew up. And I'd pick up the Chicago Tribune and I would fast forward to the movie pages and I, would, I couldn't even read. I would just look at the ads for the movies. That's how nuts I was about it. Mm. Just totally in my dream world at a very early age. And I don't know why that was, I just was. And I, you know, when I talked to other, you know, actors and artists and writers and producers, they had a very similar start. So that's Okay. So so fast forward to when you actually started acting. Did that occur in, in high school or did it actually happen when you went to to Michigan State University. When did that, when did that, when did you formally start acting? I was high school. Okay. It was high school, it was senior year, and I was working and we had a, a closed circuit television class. And that class would produce all the television content at that time for my high school. You know, news reports and just, you know, bringing people up to speed about what kinds of events were happening at school. And we had a, a PA radio thing and I was a part of that. And so the teacher that was running that talked a very close friend of mine into talking me into going out for a school play when I was about 17, senior year. And ironically, if I could digress for a moment, that particular person, his name is Patrick Ciccone. He's a veteran sound mixer here in LA right now. So we're both here in LA the same. He's not acting anymore, but he was an actor at that time. And he was you know, also doing all those things. And he was kind of the teacher's pet. Ms. Kleffman at Osborne High School in Detroit. And he's the one who talked me into becoming an actor, even though I wanted to do it, but I never saw me doing it. So I got into that play, and now he's still here in L.A. right now. He's doing, he's a big, big sound mixer. He does, like, big TV shows and all that stuff, and so it's kind of a weird full circle for he and I. And wow. We're still in wow. So, so do you guys ever talk about that, the fact that, you, that he kind of, got you started it was a path that you wanted to take but that he actually really set your feet on a path and and, and kind of gave you that nudge and say hey carl this is something that you need to do do you guys ever talk about that yeah yeah we've talked about it i mean we don't uh talk all the time we talk times a year we meet for lunch we, we follow each other on social media he's liking my you know on on facebook we like each other's posts and communicate that way he just got married by the way but yeah we've talked about it before Okay, beautiful, beautiful. So after your high school play. I'm like a 40, 40, 40 year friendship, 45 year wow. friendship. Wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. that, that is awesome. That's that's yeah. beautiful. So after your initial high school play, 
I guess you were like, hey, I, yeah, I thought I wanted to do this. Now I know that I want to do this. So then when you went to Michigan State, is that, is that what you majored in? No. I, I did the play in high school, and I won't say I forgot about it, but I, you know, I still didn't see it. Mm. Even though it was buried in my heart, I didn't see it. You know, so what happened was I went to Michigan State and I was majoring in communications. Thought I wanted to do, you know, television and radio, that kind of thing. And uh, I got recruited to do theater <laughs> again. So I did a play uh, by Leroy, Leroy Jones called The Toilet. And there were a couple of guys who were involved, the Gray brothers, Gary and Greg Gray, and they kind of took me under their arm, under their wing. And I started doing theater at Michigan State, and then there were these, these uh, showcases that had modeling and music, and people would do monologues. So I started doing those, and then I turned into more plays at Michigan State. So at Michigan State, I kind of honed the craft there, but I was not a theater major. I was just doing plays. And came out of Michigan State, stopped acting again, took a job in corporate America, ended up moving to Kalamazoo, Michigan, where again, I was recruited to do, to, to, to do plays in Kalamazoo. So I started doing, you know, theater in Kalamazoo, Michigan, directed the plays in Kalamazoo. It just kind of weirdly kind of evolved from this place where I just kind of was just reluctant. I was an actor who wanted to act, but didn't really have the confidence that I could do it. This went on for uh, many, many years for me. So that's kind of a, snapshot so so what is it do you think now that you look back on it what was it that everyone kept seeing that in you but you not seeing it in yourself what was it do you I, think if, if have you have you ever thought about that yeah I, I and I talk about this with young people today to this to this to this day is I think that you know, listen to your inner voice. I didn't listen. I didn't believe it. And it's like how some little kids want to become firemen or doctors or veterinarians, you know, astronauts, you name it. This was my call. And I spent a long time kind of running from it. Didn't really, maybe didn't be good enough or I could do the work or whatever. I don't know what it was. But it continued to pursue me even when I did not pursue it. And... um so for me, I don't know what it is. I, I just think that I'm called to do it. And, and so I just do the best I can. I study. I work with great people. I, I have great mentors. And uh, I've been blessed. So I just kind of keep going. And I don't take myself very seriously. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think that's really a problem with most actors. We just take ourselves too seriously. And I, I try not to do that. Okay. Okay. So you're like, I'm an actor. I'm an actor, but I'm, you know, I'm not out there, you know, it's not brain science, okay? People who are doing heart surgery, in my humble opinion, mm -hmm. are something that's really, for, I'm not going to say that what we do isn't important, because it is, but, you know, let's keep it in perspective. Right. You know what I'm yeah. Right. So after you leave Michigan State, you, you enter into corporate life. I did. And and then how how long did you do the corporate the corporate thing, and did you have that thing in the back of your head saying, okay, you know, this is cool. It's paying the bills, but it ain't where I'm supposed to be. I tried quitting this business 
many times. I came here in L to LA in 85, worked for the LA Times for three, well, I worked for the LA Times for nine years, but for the first three years, I didn't do anything in theater. Started doing theater like in 88, 87, 88. Pursued it for a while, and I didn't like the whole pursuit of the business. I didn't like the auditioning. I didn't like the constant rejection. I, didn't, I just didn't like the way it made me feel, and I wanted to make money. Plus, I got married, I had kids, and you know, I had to, you know, provide for them. And the business was not doing what I needed it to do at the time. So I started in maybe 88 or so, and got a gang of credits, did some great things and all that, then things slowed down. Then I went to work for Variety in 1999 as an account manager. And I really had no intention on coming back. That was it. Mm. I'm working I thought it was a great job. I had a great, was making great money. It was, I was still kind of in the industry. I was, you know, going to these great events and meeting great people and didn't quite work out the way I thought. I ended up coming back uh, into acting in uh, 2002. So how did that happen? I lost my job at Variety. Okay, well, that'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and could not find another job. Okay. Time. That was, you know, in the field that I worked in. And so I went back to acting. Okay. And this was 2002, something like that. Okay. So mm -hmm. let's, let's talk about that for a second. So you, you were in sales. Mm-hmm. So did that actually help you as an actor? Because I was in sales myself. I sold cars. Right. So you, you kind of have to learn how to read people. So did your background in sales and being an account manager, a senior account manager, did that in any way help you when you would actually go out for a role or when, when you were up for a role and you're, you're, you're sitting across from the casting directors? Did any of, of your sales training actually help you become a better actor? Yes. Yes, I, and I think that you hit the nail on the head in terms of being able to read people, being able to relate to people, uh, becoming uh, thick-skinned in terms of rejection. You know, you don't get yeses all the time in sales. You got to keep going. That aspect helped me. And then, you know, just being able to be quick on your feet in general, when you're on the set, when you're in a room auditioning, whatever. So absolutely. And then the variety gave i tell you what really helped me about that. So when I worked for Variety, I, I handled what's called production services. So I handled uh, the guilds. I handled um, locations. I handled production like Pana Panasonic, Kodak, Panavision. These were my clients. Mm -hmm. And I learned about all the emerging technologies at the time that I worked there. That's when digital was beginning to emerge as in replace film. So I learned all about the technology from the people doing the technology. And so that really strengthened me in terms of when I became an actor and a producer, being able to adapt to the changing and emerging technology. And that was a big deal for me. To this day, I still have relationships at Variety and at some of these places that I had then. So it wasn't a waste of time. I just wasn't acting at the time. And I remember when I was acting, even when I was working at Variety, I had uh, done a couple of films, a couple of commercials, and I did this one big IBM commercial. And I took the day off. It was only one day. And my boss saw it and began to chastise me about, you know, not working and doing something other than what I was doing with Variety. It became a, a, an issue at the job. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. 
your boss sees your commercial. Right. Fine takes issue with it. Bridge. Did. And then, and then I know you lost your job at Variety. Yes. But when your boss kind of calls you on the carpet, was there ever any inkling in your mind to say, you know what, maybe I need to really start going in that direction? No. Or did no. that even occur? Did that even occur to you? Or you were just like, yeah, whatever, man. I know I was trying to save my job, you know, but I wasn't um, desperate. Right. I was I was just explaining because I, I wasn't doing what he was accusing me of doing. But then, you know, you know, I'm, you went to corporate America, you know, when 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 a, an employer has it in for you, for whatever reason, it's political. Right. Then you're done. Yes. See, they for a reason to, to get rid of me which was really in my best interest. I didn't know it at the time, but that's what they were doing. They were building a case to be able to move me out. There was no real case there, though. Like the things they brought about the IBM spot, there was another film I did. This film that I'd done, for example, I had shot before I started working at Variety, but it released a couple of years later. So the release date looked like I was working, doing this okay. film I was working. I wasn't, had to explain that. So it just became a, a, a downhill spiral. But I loved that job. You know, to this day, mm. the lady who was the publisher of Variety, we used to work in the office right next to me. <laughs> she's she's now the publisher of Variety. So she's a relationship. She's somebody who I know. We talk on, the, on LinkedIn all the time. Wow. Yeah. So, so, so it sounds like you've and, kept relationships with practically everyone over throughout, throughout the years. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think that that's very important to me, people. Being able to connect with people, being able to help other people complete their projects and to help them fulfill their dreams. Just that engagement, I really enjoy that. And I think that's really has, has been a catalyst to the, whatever success that I've had. It's not about the talent. I, I'm, you know, I, I guess I'm talented, but I think that really what it is, is that I've been able to really build strong relationships and strategic alliances with people that we have a common interest. And I, I'm able to hone in on those things. And I really, really enjoy that more than anything. I mean, mm. I really do. So I think that, I think because I enjoy them because I love people so much, I think that's what really transcends everything else for me and gives me the longevity that I'm having. Beautiful, beautiful. Now, I, I heard a question the other day when I was listening to an interview and I'm going to ask you this question because okay. when I heard, when I heard this question asked, I was like, wow. I said, I got to ask that question. Right. I'm going to give you the definition of acting. And then I, I would like what acting means to you. So the, the, the definition of acting is the art or occupation of performing in plays, movies, or television productions. And that's the condensed vanilla version of acting. Mm -hmm. But for you, what, what is acting to you? Acting is being, it's truth telling. You know, it's, it's, it's bringing the truth of your life and your experiences, your joy, your pain, and bringing that and lumping and dumping that into characters that are written on a page that are not you. But you find you in that, that, uh, in that written word, and you bring that honestly and truthfully to the work. So for me, obviously, there are some characters that you really have to create. You have to act 
the character, I guess. And I'm not trying to say, you know, that make this this deep thing, but the the, the best actors are truth tellers who are who have an ability to adapt their person and the, the the depth of their personality and the depth of their heart and soul into characters that are put in front of them that are written by somebody else. Finding the truth, finding the truth in everything. And the truth, every every script that comes to me that I play has an element of me inside that character. Mm. And I don't care how bad it is, I don't care how good it is. The other thing is you can't judge anything that you're doing. You don't, you don't judge the characters, you don't judge the words. I've heard that said many times, but that's true. You know, you don't have any, and if there is judgment in somehow of a, of a character that comes before me that I can't play that character. You know, I, I just, you know, I hear people say all the time, you know, if you're an actor, you can play anything. Eh, no, I mean, they're, they're, I, I can't play everything, anything. There's certain things that I'm not going to try to play and I'll just take a pass on it or don't try to play it, you know? And that's me. So, but I mean, that's kind of how I see what acting is. But your definition of acting is accurate also. Yes. But it's more generic, a generic application of the craft. Because when you look at television or a film, that's what you're seeing. That is, in essence, what it is. But the depth of the craft involves something much more intimate. Mm -hmm. that oh, it makes perfect sense. And that leads into my next question. So with everything that you just so beautifully described as, as to what acting is to you, being a teacher, how do you impart to your students how to get to that place. I know it's something that they have to do on their own, but how do you help actors get to that point where they can begin to see acting as just not the definition? I, I think that my skill set as a director and teacher is what we talked about earlier. I can read the room and I can pretty much see the heart and the soul of a person just from talking to them. And I help them find that in the work. And the ability to get there depends on the individual, you know, how free they are to not, you know, criticize themselves or to see themselves being something other than that or, or to find the depth of something they may not agree with, but yet exist in them to play in the role. I just try to help them find that. And every actor is different. And I just try to take actors when I'm coaching, when I'm directing, as far as I can take them. And I don't try to make them be somebody other than what's already in there. Even when I'm casting a play, I'm doing, I'm t directing a play right now that I did cast that new, you know, it's interesting, but actually I cast two characters. But when I cast something, I'm looking at who they are already. And I know it's already on the page. And so when, when they come on board, it's not gonna be really that difficult at least it hasn't been in the past, to get them there. So hmm. I hope I answered the question, but it's really helping them really find who they are. And I do that through talking to them, through encouraging them and building them up and helping them become more fearless in the way they approach the work. And that for all of us is an ongoing mission. You know, I still got a long way to go myself in that, hmm. you know. So, yeah. So how but important, I'm sorry. You, no, no, go ahead. No, so how, so with that, how, 
if if you're talking to young actors, and I'm I'm concentrating on young actors, how mm-hmm. important for them is it to train? Very important. Because because the importance of that is what helps them become free to do what I just described. The training does that. I need to be doing more training, <laughs> you know? But that's what the training does. The training mm-hmm. helps the actor do what I just described. If they're in a good class, they'll become freer in being who they are and being fearless in the way they approach the work. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's a good class. Not, I mean, craft is important and technique is important and all that. And yes, but the real key to becoming a great actor is freedom, transparency, depth, be able to access anything that's deep inside of you to bring that to what's on the page. Because when you see an actor that's great, the reason why you think they're great is because you, you, you're seeing the humanity that they're giving to the role they're playing because you relate to it because you're a human being. You don't even know why you relate to an actor. It's, it's because you see something that, that, you, that you have. You see your own humanity in the way they're portraying that play, that, that, that character. And that's why you love actors who you love and the ones you don't love are people who are not good at that. You know, all, that's fake because it's not connecting to you, you know? You know what? That is such a true statement because when when I was uh, writing stage plays and doing films and actors would come to me sometimes, they say, they would ask me, well, what do you, how do you want me to do this? I says, well, you know, here's the thing. I wrote the script, but it's up to you to interpret it. Mm-hmm. And you, you, because if I tell you, then I'm telling you the way that I would do it. And that's not what I want. And then another thing that I would also say to actors is, please don't come here and act. Because if you're acting, people will be able to tell. And you and I've watched television shows where you become totally disconnected because you're like, you know what? I can see you doing your lines in your head and I'm just not there. So that is that is so true. And it's interesting. And and this is a great segue into the next portion that I want to speak to you about, which is your your uh, foundation with Bill Duke. But I and and I know you don't remember this, but I'm going to tell you anyway. The American Black Film Festival, when it was in Los Angeles at the Sofitel Hotel, I met you briefly because I'm I'm good friends with Reggie Gaskins. We went to high school um, together. We went to okay. high school together. And when I was walking in the lobby. Billy Brothers. Billy Brothers. Yeah. Yeah. When I was walking in the lobby, you said, yeah, Reggie's around here. And I said, where's Reggie? And you said, oh, he's over there. And I was like, thank you. And went on about my business. <laughs> And that's so crazy because that's, that's interesting because, and here we are today sitting here talking and, and that was my, my first interaction with you, but I took Bill Duke's acting boot camp, and he said something very interesting. He called it falling backwards into darkness. That's right. That's and I never forgot that because talk about that because you basically for me, you just described what he meant by falling backwards into darkness. You want me to, because I've really had a talk about it already, uh, but Bill is, is a masterful interpreter or guide or uh, what's the word I'm thinking of? 
what's the, the character in Star Wars? I can't think of his name. Right now. Um, the, one. the Jedi. Yeah, no, not Jedi. The other, anyway. It's the one I'm trying to think of in my head. But Obi-Wan he, uh, no, the, the little, little, little Yoda. 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 Yeah, Yoda's, Yoda. Yoda's a, a yeah. Jedi master. He's a Jedi master. Yeah, 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 yeah. So he's like the Yoda of actors. You know, he, mm. and he has this, this calm and this kind of insightful way of getting inside. And I don't mean this in a negative way, but getting inside your head. When you're on, I've not worked with Bill that many times, uh, but I did. I took his, the, the very first Bill Duke boot camp I took, the first one. And that one was a three-month thing here in L.A. It wasn't just of three days. It was three months. Wow. And I'm going to digress a bit. It's going to answer your question. Oh, please, please, please. Uh, one, 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 one time, I was doing a scene. And he stops me. And then he just totally goes off the script and starts asking me questions. And I'm right there on the stage by myself. He pulled my scene partner off. Just me by myself on the stage. Whole class, class 25, 30 people. He starts asking me questions. And before it was over with, I started bawling like a baby. I just started crying like a baby. And I never will forget that. But that's Bill. I mean, Bill has a way. And from that time forward, every time I direct, I'm not trying to break people down. But the way I talk to actors is very similar. I ask them questions. I ask them questions about where they're going, what their objectives are, what they're feeling, what are their substitutions. I ask them questions that will help them find the depth and the soul of that character, which lives in them. And he broke me down. That class, I don't know if you've heard about that class, but it had Taraji Henson in the class before she was Taraji Henson. Taraji Henson, Anthony Anderson, Shamar Moore, yes. Monica Calhoun, uh, just a lot of great people in that class. Josie, that's where I met Josie, mm. was in that So it's just uh, Tara Bennett-Smith. I mean, all these people, it was a great class. And um, to go back to your point, falling backward into darkness, is what that means is having the courage to go into the depths of your soul, of the moment you're playing, without thinking about what's going to happen to you. Because you're safe anyway. God's got you. But in our humanity, we try, especially adults, because the kids don't worry about this. We're the ones. We are always trying to be concerned about what we look like, if we're going to be liked if we're going to be accepted, all those things. But when you're falling backwards into darkness, you're not concerned about any of that. You're just existing and being and you're, you're current in that moment. And an actor in that space can do anything. Yeah. That is so true. Yeah. Because when I took his class... I did a monologue and he he did the same thing with everyone in the class. He had everyone stop in the middle of their monologue and he had me close my eyes. And at the time, my daughters were both very young and right. he said, okay, what time is it? And somebody said, oh, it's, it's four o'clock. And he says, okay. He said, I just want you to stand there. And he said, at 
4.05, both of your daughters are gone and they're taken away. He said, I don't want you to say anything. He said, I don't want you to say anything. He said, I want you to sit in that. He said, I want you to think about that and what that means to you. And being a new father, it, it, it was, and he said, really sit in it. And it was <clears throat> devastating because I'm like, they're my world. And then he had me stand there for a couple of more minutes and he said, do your monologue. And I will say that that was the best monologue that I have ever done. People were walking up to me at the film festival like, oh, my goodness, because everybody in the classroom was crying. And I have never done a monologue that way ever again because I couldn't get back to what he drew out of me. I tried. Yeah, you got to talk to Bill. Yeah. Have Bill. They look, Bill, can you just be in my pocket? And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but let's talk about the foundation because I think that is fabulous. So how, how did that come you're about? You're frozen. Can you, can you see me? You're frozen on my phone. I, I am? Yeah, you are. Yeah, and I think it could be. Uh-oh. Ladies and gentlemen, this is called Technical Difficulties. Oh, yes, I'm here. Okay. You were frozen on my phone. Are you, are you okay? Yeah. Can you see me? I'm okay. Yeah. Yeah. Now I can't see you at all, but I don't know what's going on. You, can you see me? I can see you. Okay. That's weird. I can't see you. Anyway, maybe you'll come back in a second. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm here. <laughs> yeah, I can hear you though. I can hear you. Great. 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 So, well, let, well, hopefully I'll come back into uh view, but the, the Bill Duke foundation, how did that come about? Oh, wow. Okay, so so Bill and I, our relationship is really kind of a cool thing. I met him back in like 93 or 94 when a, a lady he was dating at the time was a friend of mine, another actor. And uh, this actor friend of his, it was, it was uh, uh, her and another actor, another actress, another actor. We decided we were going to do a showcase. Right? So we got some material, some short plays written by a brother of mine who just since passed away. His name is Ken Davis. And we were going to do these four plays. So the young lady said, hey, you know what? I know Bill Duke. Let's see if he'll take a look at our plays. So I said, I don't, I don't, I don't want Bill Duke looking at my work. I'm not, I've seen him on TV and he's scary. I don't want to deal with Bill Duke. <laughs> True story. <laughs> so anyway, Bill agreed that he would look at our plays. So we went out to his house, living in Pacific Palisades at the time. <laughs> I remember walking up to the door. I was scared. I was shaking in my boots. I'm like, I do not want this guy looking at me, you know, do this, this work. Get to the door. He's opened the door. He's smiling and he's warm. He invites us in. He's got food in there. So we start, you know, doing the plays. And he was just, just, so wonderful and so kind is totally different from what I thought it would be like. So as a result, Bill says, you know what? I'm going to direct two of these plays. Do you mind? Can I direct two of these plays? So Bill ended up directing two. And then we got, we got another buddy of mine. His name is Cy Richardson. Cy directed the other two. So we did it in Venice at this theater in Venice. It was called Four More Actors Looking for Work. It was a huge success. And that's where Bill and my relationship began. 
when I did these plays. And flash forward some years later, when that boot camp I'm telling you about the, with all the people in it, I was somehow recruited into that class. I didn't have any money. So I did no bill. So I called and I said, Bill, I don't have any money, you know, take your class. But, you know, he says, oh, you know what? Why don't you be a monitor? You can help me run the class. So that's how I ended mm. up doing that. So that was another Bill Duke moment. Then some years later, when I did my first film as a producer that Bill really influenced because of the class, because he was encouraging all, uh, us all to do our own, our own work, he helped me with that, that, that film. He was, you know, kind of a, someone who I could go to and ask questions. Flash forward later on, after that, I turned 50. He came to my 50th birthday party. And that's what turned it, that thing, this would turn the corner. He came to my party, my birthday party. He stayed the whole night, had a great time. He calls me the next day and he says, hey, man, I want you to work with me about my foundation. I'm like, dude, I said, Bill, I don't know, know nothing about no foundation. I'm like, what do you want me to do? He says, no, I just want to work with you in this foundation. So that's kind of how it started. And it's kind of taken some twists and turns along the way. And now what we've done is he asked me to help create a curriculum for uh, high school kids that involved not acting, but the business of acting, you know, content creation, but also uh, financial literacy. And that's how that started. And so we've been doing that really in kind of a high gear since like 2011. Wow. So, so how has it that's worked out so far? It's worked out really good. We've kind of been down since the pandemic. We haven't done too much with it since the pandemic. We've done some Zoom stuff. But um, we were worked with the L.A. Uh, film school. No, not L.A. film school. Um, New York film, New York, NYPA, New York Film Academy in Burbank. Uh, we worked with them and we worked with uh, Educating Young Minds, which is a nonprofit out of Los Angeles. But uh, it's helped a lot of people. A lot of people, a lot of young people have come through there and they, they, we really helped them. And it's been a good, a good experience. Wow. And a lot of great people through there too to talk to the kids. I mean, a lot of great directors like producers like Charles Murray's come through and Robert Townsend's come through and you know Ayanna Floyd, who's a showrunner on television, come through. A lot of people come through and talk to our kids, so it's good. So when since 2011, you you've had these iconic people coming through the doors to speak to these to these kids and these young adults. Can you give us a little insight into, because I'm sure you've probably sat in some of the classes while they're in front talking. Mm -hmm. Can you, can you tell us what it was like watching these young people, watching these people who are at the top of their game, telling mm -hmm. them, you know, you can do this, right? Right. What was that like? For me? Yes. I mean, it's great. I mean, and, there's a lot of very generous people out there. People like Robert Townsend, who I, when, I remember when Robert came in. Robert is a, a very unique and passionate person, a great guy. And watching him get excited about sharing his, his wisdom with these young people and then taking pictures after the class and all that. I mean, you know, everybody who came in to talk to the kids had a high level of enthusiasm. They wanted to be there. All of them did. And so for me to watch that, you know, I always looked at that experience because I've also produced lots of panels as well, like entertainment industry panels, like at Faithful Central Bible Church. I've done several of those and I bring people in, they talk to, you know, aspirants about the business. What I love about those is that it's in essence a networking and bringing together of people. So 
for example, if I have uh, Ken Winningham and Jeff Bird at a panel, which I did one time, and then I also bring in Ayanna Floyd and I bring in uh, Twinkie Bird or whoever, these people now are networking with each other and coming up with ideas and how to be creative together. And then at the same time, the people come to hear them are learning. So the same thing was true when we work with the kids. So it's not just about giving back to the kids. It's also about the people who are there getting to know each other and getting, you know, Chris Spencer's come down and Eric Dean Seaton has come down. You know, it's just, you know, that's what it's about. You are giving to the people, whether they're kids or whether they're other aspirants, but also they're getting to know each other. They're forming relationships and partnerships as well. Mm -hmm. And for me, that's such a win-win. And I love to see that. So when I'm watching it, I'm thinking about that. And, and uh, the last thing I'll say about this is, uh, and I don't want to get too uh, political here, but I don't, I don't concern myself with what, you know, the majority culture is doing, you know, what, what white folk, let's, let's be frank, are doing. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to find ways for us to be empowered because we have such resilience and power within our own community that we, in my view, are the answer to all of it. We can, in, in essence, render the racism that exists, we can neuter it by just being powerful within ourselves. That's what I try to bring to the table with what I do, with whatever it is, whether it's with Bill, whether it's on my own, with my wife, that's what I'm really about because I can't change nobody's heart. Yes. So I do what I can do to change my own heart and to, you know, uh, build the empire that I'm called to build, whether, whether it's done with me or not. It could be two other people over there who's doing it because they met through me, you see. And that's real, where the real power is for me. And that's, the, that's important. It's very important we do that. That, that is such an important statement regarding not worrying about what other people are doing. Because in my opinion, when you start building and then you're coming at someone from a position of strength, they have no choice but to treat you as an equal. Exactly. But as long as they are in a position of power, they can treat you any way they want. But when the when the playing field is leveled and black folk are some good leveling type people right. because of the fact that we're so resilient. You know, I was telling my wife the other day, we crack, we don't break. So you you can throw so much at us and, and, and we'll crack and, you know, we may have to go get repaired, but we never break. So that's that's beautiful that your foundation is really building these kids into to being CEOs and, mm -hmm. and and owners. And I love that that Mr. Duke really pushes that and facilitates that because when you said he encouraged you to do your own thing, he was so instrumental in who I am today. Him and mm -hmm. Jeff Friday. Yeah. Jeff Friday. And, and, and when I saw Jeff Friday a couple of years ago, I told him, I said, the reason I started my film festival is because I came here. Right. And the crazy thing about that was when I was sitting in Bill Duke's acting class, Bill Duke said, if you want to be in the film, then go make one. Right. 
So you know what I did? I came home and told my wife I'm starting a film company. So when, when, when you're able to impart that to, to, to kids who may think, well, I have to go this route and, and, and you guys are sitting there saying, well, no, you actually don't. You can, you know, you, you have the capability of doing this. And sometimes that's all you need to do is point it out. So I, I think that that is absolutely amazing. But I want to talk to you. But that, that is, uh, sure. if, I may interrupt, if you just put a pin in that for a no, second. No, please. That, that, that is Bill's single most influence in my life. Because when I took that class in 97, it's a 98, I don't know, it's 98. Mm -hmm. It totally changed. When I took the class, I thought, oh, you know, I'm going to you know, be acting in front of Bill Duke and all this and become a better actor. He did a total bait and switch on the whole class. And I have never been the same since then. Never. Yeah. Yeah, and but you know what? Neither have I because it's so amazing because he opened your eyes to possibilities that you never even thought about. Nope. You went there thinking, okay, I'm going to get some, some, some tips on how to be a better actor. Right. I did not know that I will be coming away with a game plan on how to become a damn owner. And how to free yourself up and not wait for the phone ring, as he says all the time. You know, not waiting for someone to give you a part. You know, uh, create your own part. And if you don't, you know, if you aren't a writer, find writers who you can partner with. If you aren't a producer, find a producer who you can partner with. You know, that to me just stuck with me to this day. And I think that's why Bill and I are so close. Is because it, you know, I don't think he's looking at however level that I'm at, or you know, all, any of that stuff. Because obviously, I have you know a ways to go. But he sees that my hustle, my work ethic. He he sees the way I carry myself through life, and we have we're like kindred spirits in that regard. You know, people call me like uh, sometimes people call me Little Bill. I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll take that because I know who Bill is. But literally, he has deposited all that stuff in me, but it was already in me already, and just kind of recognized it. And he's a, he's a great dude. He's a great dude. He really, um, but, he really is. You were going to say something. I cut you off. I'm sorry. No, no. And I was just saying he really is. Yeah, yeah. He really is. Yeah. Hey, everybody. It's Floyd Marshall, host of A Conversation With. Have you ever listened to a podcast and said to yourself, I'd like to ask him a question? Well, you can just message me with a question or a comment and I'll make sure to respond to it in the very next episode to your success. Visit anchor.com to send Floyd a question. So, You've been in the business for a very long time. And, I, and before, before we talk about your series that you came out with that I'm watching, that is totally hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. It is so funny. <laughs> now, and I'm going to go way back in the archives, ladies and gentlemen. And some of you on this feed may not even know the company that I'm about to mention, Singular Wireless. Oh, it's AT&T now. But anyway. That was one of my favorite commercials, and I'm not just saying that because you're on the podcast, but that was one of my favorite commercials. 
Can you just talk about what it was like to do that commercial? Because I was always curious, because when I first saw it, I was like, well, what the, what the hell happened to the sound? <laughs> what the hell, what was it? So, can, so can, you, can you briefly talk about the, the background on that commercial and how oh, it was made? I can tell you a little story about that. So it, first of all, that at the time was like the biggest spot I'd ever done. I mean, it was so big that I could go to the store, I'd be in Costco and people recognize me and they'd be like mouthing, you know, the commercial, it was that big. And when I auditioned for it, it was just a crazy audition. I, in fact, it was, it was obvious that we're not looking for a black guy because it was mostly white people there and it was me. And I, and I remember they just wanted you to just go crazy. So again, falling backwards in the darkness, I just totally went off. Mm -hmm. I just went off. And I remember at the time I was um, driving for a limousine company and it was Oscar time. And uh, I was working, I was in a town car at the Beverly, Beverly Hills Hotel or the one that's on Sunset. And I'm sitting in my car, and it's a Sunday, and my agent calls and says, you booked Singular, and you work tomorrow. <laughs> or maybe it was Saturday, but it was like, that. They, it was a weekend call that I was, I was going to work the next business day. So they might have called on Saturday. So I remember Sunday night was the Oscars, and I worked like till 2 or 3 in the morning. I had a seven o'clock call and my, my wife at the time, um, her mother was living, cause I lived in Palmdale. So her mother lived like on uh, Vermont and something. And so I went and slept on her floor. Mm. I came and I said, I was so sleepy. I mean, I was sleepy, sleepy. I was, so I remember a PA walked around and, and she had these big, these little ginseng vials. <laughs> <laughs> so I just started throwing the ginseng down and they were shooting several spots that day same thing so I thought to myself okay they haven't gotten to me yet but whatever they get to me I am going to go I'm going to kill this thing because I want them to run my spot I want to make sure that they run my spot which is a lesson to every actor out there especially doing commercials when they're doing a campaign I knew and for my ad background, you know, I knew that I had to kill this thing so that they'd run my spot. Mm. So when it came down to me, and it was a, it was a, a lot of dialogue, well, you know, it was dialogue, you know, there that I had just gotten. And they had different versions of it, too. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, they're going to put it on a teleprompter. No, they didn't. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> so I memorized it. And, wow. and I, when I tell you, and I was the last guy out. So little they shot three spots before me. I was the last one. So the, the, the crew's tired. You could tell there's fatigue on the set. I came on and I just went off. I, I just went for I just went totally for it. You could even hear in the spot, if you pay attention, you could hear me losing my voice. I'm kind of hoarse because I kept screaming and I, was, I lost my voice. You could kind of hear my voice was strained in the spot. So I did the spot. Went home, I'm saying maybe 10 days, two weeks later, their spot is. I mean, it was literally that fast. It mm. was like, there it was. And they were running the heck out of that spot. It was like, you could tell time by that spot. It was running like crazy. 
And what I learned from that was, as I'm saying to you, is I just went in. And then the others, there was one of the girl who spot ran a lot, too. But this other cat who I met there, he and I stayed in contact for a while. They almost didn't run this spot at all. Mm. And I think it's because I went in there and I just, just went crazy. And they just loved it. And that's what happened. So whenever you get a campaign, don't assume they're going to run your spot. You go in there and kill it so that they're going to choose this one or that one. They choose yours. Hmm. Yeah. So mm -hmm. so that's that's interesting because I didn't know that they ran the same one different ways. Mm -hmm, they did. And that's that's valuable information because if if you have someone that's listening that is a commercial actor, then see now you know. So that when you go in, you better act like you know because if you want them to run your spot, you better someone just said be uninhibited. You better you better go balls to the and walls. I, I, when I shot mine, there was uh there were three three of us. They were they were definitely shooting three spots that day. The girl that I mentioned, whose spot they did run, they ran hers a lot too. Mm -hmm. And there was another cat whose spot did not, because we stayed in touch for a while and, and we used to talk about it and they didn't run his spot hardly at all. But they ran me and the girl's spot. I saw mine probably more than hers, but I saw hers a lot too. Yeah, yeah that, 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 was a, that was an awesome commercial. I just, I said, I, I have got to ask him about the singular wireless commercial. But before we get, yeah, I, I want to ask you about one more thing because you were in, you know, this this small movie called Inception. You know, some of you might have seen it, some of you uh, might not have seen it. Yeah, I, I blink. If you blink, you miss me. That's my one of my. But you know what? Me. But I remember because I'm like, oh shit! <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh shit! <laughs> Your character had a specific type of title, sub lounge. And I right. kept looking that up because I, I kept saying, what is a sub lounge? So could you please tell me what Wait is a, a sub lounge? I forgot what, you know, I forgot what my character was. Was it it's sub something? Yeah, I think it was, a, it, it, they called it a sub lounge. Oh, well, the thing about Inception was they had a bunch of people who would otherwise be seen as extras. But they were hired specifically for whatever reason that Chris Nolan wanted them there. Okay. So I was a principal actor. I didn't have any lines, but you know the camera just kind of blinked. But this is what when throughout throughout the whole movie, people who were like, I guess subconscious because it's about dreams. So you're in these dream worlds and you're seeing these people, and these were sub somethings. Like mine was sub lobby, or I forgot what it was. I forgot. Yeah, at the sub lounge or sub lobby. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So out subconscious. So that was like during some dream. So it was me and some other girl walking you know, up this escalator and they look at us and we look over. I mean, whatever. It's but all those actors didn't have any lines, but they were auditioned. We auditioned for that. And they gave us like scenarios that we reacted to without words. We didn't have to we had to be something that we, you know, we behave it was behavior. And that's how he chose us. And when we went for the audition, I didn't know who it was. I didn't know what the movie was. It was like really hush hush. And I remember my agent called me like like a month later and said, you know, you booked blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, what is that? I didn't remember. And it was Inception. Yeah, it was just one day, you know, but uh, it's a cool movie to be a part of though. 
Yeah, it, it was. Yeah. Uh, that was a movie you couldn't blink. You could not yeah. blink, or you but miss something. Yeah, you, you'd be you'd be lost. You was you could watch the whole movie with your eyes wide open, and be lost. That's it, I was like, what was Chris Nolan smoking when he wrote this movie? I don't know. <laughs> And I'm still trying to figure out the ending because I'm trying to figure out, okay, were you, okay, I'll just, sorry, Mr. Nolan, but were you in the matrix or were you not in the matrix? And that's what I couldn't, because that, that his, the thing, the, the top spinning, right, you know, right, exactly. and then you're walking out with, with, with the, with, with your children. So I'm saying to myself, okay, what happened? Well, whatever, right, but right. it is, it is I, what I, it I, is. I say, you know, maybe I'm just not deep enough, but I still to this day do not totally understand that movie. Neither do I. It's a good movie. Yeah, but it's a visually it's visually a great movie to watch for sure. You know, so two two yeah, yeah, now 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 two degrees. Yes. <laughs> You've been acting for a long time, and then and then your opening scene of your very first episode, you talk about it being loosely based on your life. How did? everything that you've done, because I also watched the crowdfunding videos as well. Mm -hmm. How did everything that you've done up to this point prepare you for actually producing your own television series? And it's, and it's phenomenal, by the way. And it's funny it. as hell. It's funny as hell. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, and you saw the first season, which I don't mind sharing with you. We shot that for about $5,000 and it, it, it we shot it in six days and I, my partner down full of love cut it and I cut on his cut and we aren't, we aren't editors. So this is something that we literally talk about falling backwards into darkness. That's also true when you're producing your own content is, is you don't think about where it's going to land. You just do it. And I have to give my wife a lot of credit for, I want that involve me, inspiring me and pushing me to do that because I would not have done it because I didn't have enough money or I didn't have the actors I needed or I didn't have whatever this, blah, 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 blah. I literally did not know what the heck I was doing, even though I've been in the business a long time. And I'm glad that I did that because a lot of people do enjoy it. I I enjoy it, but I, I production value-wise, I'm just such a stickler. And I'm still, I'm in that world right now because I'm, I'm, I'm cutting season two right now, which is... I'd say leaps and bounds better than season one, but it's still got things that I wish I could have done differently. But anyway, I got to that point because I realized, first of all, it was Don Love who planted the seed because he offered to do it because he had some resources that I didn't have. From that offer came my wife just, just bugging the heck out of me. Just, you know, okay, what about that story you told me about? What about this? What about that? So Two Degrees came out of people always teasing me about, you know everybody, Carl, you know, you know everybody, everybody knows you. So it came out of that. That's why I'm playing myself. That's why everybody in the show, except for my ex-wife and a couple others, I'll play themselves. Because it's really about my relationship with these people in this semi-autobiographical Carl world that's really extreme and it's not really this, but it's kind of that, but not really. And so I took the first season and I took, I went through a divorce in 2013 and I just took the experience of coming out of that marriage and I applied the story to the show in terms of my journey, first going through the actual divorce to trying to date 
and then how I process the divorce through social media. People say I'm on Facebook all the time, so that's a recurring theme in the show. So it's not on the nose, Floyd. It's just based on my experiences, but there's certain things that are on the nose. For example, I'll share this with you. Did you see episode two, the one with the um, the one with the um, the uh, counselor with Arena? Yes. Whoa. Now, did okay. you really say that? Yes, I did. Oh. <laughs> yes, I did. Ooh. I was gonna say that episode is probably the most on the nose. I didn't. I didn't have. We didn't have a therapy session, but I used the therapy session to bring out certain things that happened to me. So that episode is probably the closest to what really happened, but not on the nose in the exact spot. But you know, yeah, yeah. I said I, I'm not proud of myself either. Let me tell you that. I, you know, I was just, just you know, in real life, just tired of not being supported and tired of being minimized and marginalized for doing something that I was doing when you met me. So I put that in the show. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It, it really helped, helped, helped the narrative. And when I, when I wrote that episode, I was concerned about how people would take it. And it turned out to be one of the most popular episodes. People love that, that, that episode and quote that line <laughs> all the time, you know? because <laughs> so. I was like when you said it I said <laughs> I said did he say that and then I was like he said this was loosely based because I'm sitting here like he was loosely because I was sitting next to my wife I was like, he said this was loosely based on his did that really wow 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 and, and I understand the the anger because even sometimes when you have people in your corner, when things aren't going in a direction that they think it should be going, really not understanding how this works, they question certain things. And it gets frustrating because you're, you're really working hard. You really are. Mm -hmm. But it's like you don't plant a seed in the backyard and it becomes an oak tree overnight. That ain't the way that shit works. Overnight, try like, oh, <laughs> try 35 years. Yes. You know, I mean, I probably should have quit by now, but, you know, I'm glad I didn't. Yeah, I, I'm glad you didn't either because I, I, I really, I really like the show. I love your music. I was listening to it. I was like, wow, that's, 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 that's some good music. So who, who did, who did the, uh, the soundtrack for it? What's on the theme song or what's the theme song? Yes, that that's that's a great theme song. Yeah, thank you. I I, I love that song. It's Rob Diggy. I'm calling me. Uh, Rob Rob Diggy Morrison. Do you know Rob? Do you know I know Rob, Rob very well. Rob has done all of uh the uh, music to my films. <laughs> Rob Diggy. Yes, I've Rob known Diggy. I've known Rob for good grief. Rob did the music on my feature film and he did the music on my short film and he did uh, music for a couple of other friends. I met Rob through Facebook. Yeah. So I've known Rob, I've known Rob for years. You know, I, you know where I met Rob? Uh, here's how, how this was full circle. I met Rob at ABFF. I believe, you know what, maybe it was Hollywood Black Film Festival, but it was a, it was a festival here in LA. I, I thought it was ABFF, but it might've been, I mean, it might've been a Hollywood Black Film Festival. 
that I met him here, and he's from Chicago, and I'm from Chicago. So we just started working together. And that theme, I actually put out an, uh, a post about it a couple of days ago. Um, I told him what I wanted. I said I wanted something really simple with bass and horns and something that, you know, you hear it twice and it's in your head. And he gave me that maybe the second try. Oh, wow. Maybe the second try he got it. And I love that theme. I was going to change it or I was going to do something kind of inverted on it this season. And I said, no, I'm going to do exactly the same theme. So we're going to have the same theme this season as well. So Great, because I really, because when, when the show first came on, it is very catchy. Yeah. And it makes you want to sit there and watch. Right, right. Mm -hmm. Because you're like, well, wow, if the music is this good, what... What what about the show itself? But right. I'm gonna ask you a question about that. All of the characters, because you said you did it on a limited budget, mm -hmm. and you had quite a few characters. Some of them I recognize. Mm -hmm. Some of the people that actually directed your episodes, you had uh, Reggie Gaskins, and you also had Kina. Kina so, Ferguson. Ke yes, Kina. Kina, superstar Ferguson, lovely, lovely, lovely woman. Talk about the, the the relationships that you had to build in order for you to tap such a wealth of talent. Because I saw some people, and I'm pointing, I'm pointing to people. Oh, I know who that is. So, 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 what was it like? Because I, I guess this has happened over years. Oh, you mean the relationships? Or you mean the that, that you've built with the people? Because again, yeah. I saw a lot yeah. of people in I mean, the show. So his idea extends beyond the show it also extends into the production so all the people who are in the show or who are working on the show are people who are friends of mine who people who have relationships with it's the whole two degrees idea is not just the show it's also the show and how the show is made and with kina you know, when, when when i was uh, developing the idea i thought that i was going to be directing the show i thought that i was going to be directing the show because i'm doing the show i don't have a director i'm going to direct it but when I start putting the word out, this is the thing that, that, that really is so important and so key and why I really am humbled and I'm blessed because once I put the word out, I was doing the show, I started getting the cavalcade of people who wanted to be a part of it. I can tell you story after story. Kena and I are very good friends off camera. You know, our families, like I know her mom and her dad. I've been having Thanksgiving with Kena for like four years mm. with her family. And on this particular Thanksgiving, before we were gonna shoot the first episode, she'd seen that I was doing the show. And she said, Carl, I wanna direct one of your episodes. I'm like, okay. I mean, literally, that's how it happened. And then Reggie Gaskin said, man, I wanna direct one of your episodes. That's okay, so he directed two. And all my directors were people who wanted to do it, who I believe in their skill set. So that's what happened. And the first season, Kena directed the, season opener of season two as well. Kena did. She did the first uh, episode. But the episode she did in the first season, she, it was a very important episode. She directed uh, The Cigar Bar. Cigar Gabe is the name of the episode. And that one had Michael T. Williamson and Michael Beach, had Aaron Spears. It was his full male cast. And she loved the fact that I trusted her enough to direct this all-male cast, let alone people of that vast experience uh, level. But that was, for me even though I knew that she would excel, it was also a strategic choice 
because I knew that <laughs> when those guys were working with her, they were going to be deferential toward her because she's beautiful and she's talented. I knew that she would appreciate being there. She would work hard. And I knew her skill set was, uh, was, uh, she had an ability to pull this off. And people would just feel good about being there. And that's what happened. She came on that set and Mike Beach and Michael T. I think Mike knows her through his wife, something mm -hmm. like that. His wife knows Kena through something with their kids or something like that. So that's kind of what I was thinking. And I like to, you know, and this again was where the sales background comes in. It's like when I produce a project or I'm directing something, I'm looking at the dynamics of the people. It's not just their talent, which of course you need. It's also slotting people in a place where you know that all will benefit, all will excel, and all will be able to soar mm -hmm. and take the work in a personal way for them, which is very, very important. So to go back to your question, you know, it's the two degrees idea is about me knowing all these people, but it's also that's in the story, in the actors in the story, but it's also in its creation. So... And that's how Kenny came on board because she asked me, who else had Mike Whaley, who's another longtime friend. He directed an episode and Stacey McClain and, and my, my son did one. And so this, this new season, same thing. I had people who just wanted to do it. I didn't have to direct one. I'm going to just direct one in the, in the third season if we do one. But mm -hmm. same thing. I had people come to me who wanted to direct. I, I, had, no, I had no shortage of directors. I, you know, I lost a director I had for episode five, but you know, I had a guy step up. I want to do it literally. And it was Ken Falcon. You know, Ken Falcon. No, I haven't. That name does not ring a bell. Oh man. So Ken Falcon is phenomenal. What's the new show that's on the CW right now? My wife would tell me Naomi. Naomi yes. He directed uh, the episode. Oh, the girl five. with the superpowers. Yeah. Yeah. So he directed oh, one of the episodes of Naomi. The one was on last week. He's an actor. He was on the Tyler Perry show. Oh God! For better, see my wife should tell. My wife should tell Tyler Perry. <laughs> For better, first he was on that show, and he stepped up and he directed one of my episodes. And then he came back and he cut the episode too, and he did a great uh, job. But that's the level of skill set that that's kind of been I'm blessed to have access to, and who are ex enthusiastic about working on the on the show. I don't have to do anything other was well, I'm not true, but you know what I mean. I don't. Yes. It's, I have all the resources I need. I have to worry about anyone who's telling me no. Wow. What I need to care about is who's telling me yes, and that pool of yeses is vast. That is beautiful. So, since your lovely wife is in the background, I'm going to ask you, what is it like working with your wife on this show? Because <laughs> It sounds like she plays such an integral role in the creating of the show and also your production company. So what's that like working side by side with your uh, significant other? I, I um, never, first of all, you know, you know, I've been married three times. Yes. So uh, I never saw me working with my wife as something that I'd be doing. It was something that I, you know, I just think that we're just so locked in 
to what we're doing in terms of our purpose. It just happened that way. So with the show, and see, she has things she's doing that she's passionate about. Like she has uh, a women's group and a, a whole thing she's building that I support her in, and then I do my own thing. This show mainly she supports, supports me, but she's also a very much a creative part of the show. She plays my, I'm dating her in the show. So you saw the first season where we kind of met, but in the second season, we carried move that forward and I'm still dating her. And we're kind of going back and forth now about when we should marry. And she's saying that we should not marry on the show. I said, well, okay, so if we don't marry on the show, you know, I gotta do something. You know what I'm saying? I hate somebody, so you're gonna be okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so it looks like we're not getting married in 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 the season, in the season two either. But um, so I mean, you know, and then she's kind of like the reluctant actor. She's a very very good actor, but she she doesn't. She seems like I mean she's doing it, but she seems like she's kind of reluctant. Like she don't want to do it. She does, but she's like cool with not doing it. So I kind of push her up anyway, and I you know. So she has an active role, like and she's in episode. Let's see, one for a bit. She's in three for a good bit. Then she really amps up in four, five, and six. Okay, so so I really enjoy working with her, you know, because she's another set of eyes. She's got my back, you know, and it's cool, you know. And then we we have this, in fact, we're just talking today about this. We have this kind of relationship thing we do we, we, when we talk about relationships and and we haven't been doing that lately. Mm-hmm. So we were just talking about today, we're going to start doing more of that again, coming coming back to that. We used to do that all the time in the first two or three years we were married, but we haven't done much of that at all in the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. So we're going to bring that back. But it's a joy to work with her, you know what I'm saying? It's great. I didn't think that I would like that, but uh, it's, it's funny how God, you know, does things that gives you things you don't know you need or you don't know you want. And then mm-hmm. after you, you know, I, I want that. I didn't know I wanted that, but I do. So, yeah, it's cool. And I wow. like, you know, the whole family aspect of having her name on the show. I just, I, I like the way that feels. I like, I like to, I feel good about that. I like that. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah. That's yeah. beautiful. Well, the, the teamwork really shows. I, I'm, I'm so happy that you're doing this because watching the show, there are, there are a lot of shows on television. But it, 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 there's always room for one more where we're being shown in a good light, in a, in, a, in, a, in a phenomenal light, in a true light, because it's, it's not a perfect light, but mm-hmm. it's a truthful light. And, you know, watching the episodes, you're like, uh, I see me there. Ooh, I see me there, too. Wow. So that's me. Okay. And you get to laugh at yourself, but again, it shows us as just regular folk mm-hmm. with everyday problems, but there's no ratchetness. There's mm-hmm. a little bit, but you, you understand what I'm saying. It's a little, it's a little ratchet, but you know, I, I, I try when I go with the ratchet, I try to make it all about me. I try to make it self-deprecating ratchetness. Yes. You know, and me, not so much on the other characters. And that that kind of uh, kind of carries through into the second season. I was looking at, I've been putting out, because I don't know when the second season is going to come out. So I've been putting out these, I call them mock promos. 
and they're cracking me up even looking at those because maybe i know what's going to happen but but uh you know it's just so much fun you know to do this and i had somebody comment on one of my youtube uh uh videos it was really hilarious he was kind of taking a shot at me he says you know how does somebody you know who's a, a nobody actor have the ego to make a show about himself something like that and i just thought that was hilarious <laughs> because i thought about well you know i i get where he's coming from you know so basically i'm not denzel i'm not sam jackson you know who am i i'm not larry david who am i you know to to make a show about myself you know and play myself and expect that people want to watch it well the answer to that really is i'm doing the show for me mm -hmm. i'm really happy when people like it or watch it but ultimately I'm doing it for me. And it just so happens that because of what you said, you see yourself, because I'm doing the show, even though it's semi-autobiographical, it's a comedy, you know, people do see themselves and a lot of men see themselves in particular. You know, I was looking at um, the analytics on, on Facebook and on YouTube of who's watching my show. Man, most of the people watching my show are like over 45 are men. According to the analytics, maybe the YouTube channel belongs to a man and the wife's watching it. I don't know. But according to the analytics, the people watching my show are men over 45. That's something. Well, you know what? Again, it's when you get to a certain age, you want to see certain things mm -hmm. and certain things will appeal to you. I mean, okay, let's take the CW. I really don't watch the CW. Until my wife turned on Naomi, I really love that show, so I'll watch Naomi. But other right. than that, I don't turn on the CW because that's not the demographic. We're not the demographic that they're targeting. They so so when I see a show such as yours, I'm sorry. I'm looking for my my phone's running out of juice. I gotta plug it up. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> We're almost done. But when I when I see a show like yours, it resonates with me because we're all in that same. I'm not even going to say age bracket. We're in the same life experience bracket. Yes. Mm -hmm. So when you say something, I can relate to that because right. it's speaking to my life experience as a husband, right? As a father. Mm -hmm. So I get it. And before we close, it, it's the gentleman that posed that question on, on your YouTube channel. That's sad. Yeah. Because the fact that they were basically, when I see things like that, it's always a mindset of you're not talking to me. You're talking to yourself. Right, right. Because you're afraid that people would consider you a nobody. So you may have something that you want to put out, but because you have that mindset, you don't think anybody's going to watch. Yeah, I, you know, I mean, I mean, this may be kind of strange, but I got a feeling that whoever said that is somebody who, who knows me. <laughs> I, 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 you know, I, I think it's somebody because I went to the YouTube. You know, the, every to comment you have to have your own channel. 
And I went to the channel. It's nobody following. It was like nothing there. Mm. So, uh, I mean, I could be wrong, but I get the idea that it's somebody who knew me. It could have been somebody. It could have been a friend of my ex's or something like that. I mm. mean, but yeah, I, I I believe I believe that. I mean, I could be wrong. I don't know. But it was what was weird about it was somebody put that up there, and then a few people came to my aid. There were people coming in my aid on the thread and start commenting about his comment. And I was, you know, I tried to be graceful about it. I tried to take it in stride, but I did find it interesting. And I didn't take it personally because when you put yourself out there. Right. You no, know, this is what comes back. Yes. Part, part of the game. Mm hmm. For yep. Carl, what's next on the horizon for you and your lovely wife and GMG Media? Wow. Well, let me let's go from well, CMG uh, Media rather. Yeah, I'm sorry. Let's go from Galera Media Group. So, so we partnered with and consulted with a wonderful woman by the name of Erica Nicole Malone, and she produced a film about Mahalia Jackson. It's called Remember Me, and it stars Lettucey as Mahalia, Chris, uh, Columbus Short as Martin Luther King, Wendy Raquel Robinson in it, uh, Vanessa Estelle Williams. I'm uh, no, I'm forgetting somebody. Anyway, it's got a lot of great people in it, directed by Denise Douse. And that film is coming out momentarily. And uh, the wife and I also act in the film. So we're really looking forward to that. We are the consulting producers on it. And mm -hmm. we're a vital part in that production. And then, of course, season two of Two Degrees, which is currently in post-production. We are approaching its completion. But we're looking to do some bigger things with its distribution this time. So I'm not going to throw it out there like I did last time. I, you know, I threw it out there on Facebook and on YouTube, and I decided that I'm not going to do that with this, this season, which is why I put out so much stuff on it, you know, different trailers and things like that, just to keep the word out there and to keep the interest up, because I don't know when it's coming out. But we mm -hmm. are really close to, to completing the second season. Uh, I am uh, directing a play right now. Ain't no family like a, like the one I got with my friend Cassandra Sanders and AJ Sanders is in the play, no relation. Um, my wife is producing that. I'm recurring on the new season. Season four. And I've got a couple of episodes of Bel Air. Uh, one of them has already aired and I've got another episode coming up in about two weeks. So that's all that I can think of. There could be some other things, but... That's what I'm most excited about, I guess. Wow! So your your plate is your plate is full. Is that chic? I haven't really got the comment. And my mother's on too. My mom. Oh, hi, hi, mom. <laughs> Connie Jones seven five eight three is my mother. Hi, hey, mom. mom. Like my mom just called me. She probably figures that you know, you know, he's not answering his phone. He must be online. <laughs> just call me. And she knew exactly where to find you. Kind of like where exactly what your ex wife was saying. Chic. And and and, and yeah. two degrees. He's always online at, at the. You're at the. You're at in season two. It's in season two as, as well. I mean, it is. I have an episode with. Uh, oh my God! I can't wait for people to see this episode with uh, uh, Miguel Nunez and Vanessa Estelle Williams and Tico Wells and the Five Heartbeats, and that's the one Ken Falcon directed. It is so funny, and the whole Facebook thing comes up in that episode. So, I mean, you know, you know, we're just having fun. I get. I I, I hear that. My wife's like, you're you're on there again. Uh, it's part of the job. You're, you're on there again. What, what are you telling people? You're telling people everything. That's kind of what you kind of have to. You gotta put. You gotta because she's she's like I don't do social media. Where can people find you on social right. media? Well, right here on Instagram, you can follow me 
Carl Gilliard right here, the same account you're saying on this. Two Degrees, the series has its own IG home. TWO, not the number. TWO, Two Degrees, the series. Uh, Gilliard Media. I also have a, um, a twice-married brother. That's kind of my my uh, my my relationship advice. I'm kind of hiding behind that name and and uh, throwing out controversial relationship stuff on there. And then on Facebook, same thing. Carl Gilliard is my fan page, and Carl R. Gilliard is my regular page, but it's full. But, you know, I'll try to get rid of somebody and bring people on. And Twitter, Carl Gilliard on Twitter. Go to Twitter, because I'm going to start tweeting more. Okay, okay. <laughs> well, phenomenal. Well, Carl. That's my mom. This is Connie Jones. That's my mom. Let me, let me, I can't, I, I can't see the, oh, I can't wave. For some reason, I can't. I can't wave at her. Stone seven five eight three. That's my mother. I see her. Hi. <laughs> I can't wave. I was going to. I was going to wave at your mom, but I'll say hi, mom. <laughs> <laughs> Carl, this was absolutely amazing. This was such a great conversation. I am so glad that you took some time out of your day to join me and and to just you know give people some real insight into how this business works. And your journey. I'm so appreciative. And uh, I would love to have you back on in the future because there, there's so many other things that I want to ask you, but I didn't want to monopolize your time. Oh, please. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to make chili in a second. We get off this thing. I'm going to make my famous turkey chili and sit down here and watch, uh, watch Bel Air, the new episode of Bel Air. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong yeah. with that. Thank but you, Monica. Was... Thank you for being here. But I think Monica's been here almost the whole time. Yes. Yes, she was. And I, and I truly appreciate she came in. She was one of the first ones in the room. So Monica, thank you so much. I'm so glad that you tuned in. And ladies and gentlemen, if you enjoy the show, please subscribe because we're now on basically all of the major streaming platforms. We've just uh, joined iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Audible, and we're now also on Facebook. So we're really, we're really, really, really excited about that. And we're going to keep bringing you people such as Mr. Gilliard, because we want to highlight phenomenal people of color in this business, because too often they're not highlighted and we're, they're not being talked to. So that's what I'm going to do. That's my, that's my, as Tracy Twinkie Bird told me the other day, what is your assignment? That's my assignment. So, That's ladies right. and gentlemen, again, thank you so much for joining a conversation with, and I will just leave you with this. Love it like a hobby, but treat it like a business. And on that note, everyone, have an absolutely amazing and phenomenal night. Carl, thank you so much, and please give your lovely wife my best. Thank you. Same to you, brother, man. Thank you for having me, Floyd. It's been a joy, and uh, call me anytime. And thank you, Shante. I'm reading the comments now a little bit. Thank you, Shante. I appreciate you. She said, great job. Oh, thank you so much. And come back, please. Come back next week. All right, guys, everyone, have a phenomenal night and take care. Hey, listen, uh, boy, I'm going to invite your phone numbers. I want to text you something. I want to have a dialogue with you about something. Okay, I'll, um, I'll inbox you. I'll send you a, a direct message as soon as we get off. Cool. You got it, man. All right, brother. Take care. Yeah. Good night, everyone. Peace. Peace.